DC schools are back in session, with parents and teachers largely agreeing that in-person learning is the way to go. So why is the city council considering expanding virtual options? Last week, DC Council unanimously approved emergency legislation that expands virtual learning and updates the school system's COVID-19 protocols. The bill passed after hours of testimony from frustrated parents and after direct opposition from DC Mayor Muriel Bowser. Scott Gelman is an editor with WTOP's digital team. He's covered these developments and was nice enough to break it all down for us. So Scott, DC schools are well into their in-person school year, but some district parents want their kids back in virtual learning. Can you tell us about their concerns and what you've heard in your reporting? The vast majority of parents want their kids learning in person. This is not some criticism of the city saying that it's not safe. And so because of COVID, they want their kids to learn remotely. Public health officials are adamant that in-person learning, if done safely, is the best way for kids to be learning, making up for learning loss that they suffered during the first year and a half of the pandemic. Now, the important thing here is if those safety precautions are in place. And so there are numerous, numerous parents who are describing conditions and circumstances in D.C. public and charter schools that prompted this two hours long hearing to describe some of these issues going on in schools. Here's Dr. Carlene Reed the Ward 8 representative on the D.C. State Board of Education. Probably the most touching one was the mom who actually called me while she was battling COVID. And I mean, she was like trying to catch her breath. She was battling COVID. She wasn't able to get her child to school. And there was no clear guidelines at that time of what the child should do. But there was still an expectation for that child to come to school. So why are students, these parents are saying, not able to remote into these classrooms? And they also want D.C. to be able to reach its testing goal. So D.C. at the start of the school year said it wants to test 10 percent of asymptomatic students every single week. And they are actually just now coming close to that goal. The most recent numbers are 8.8%, but they still haven't reached that goal. And we're still a month into the school year. A few other things parents are talking about, something like outdoor lunches, especially as the weather is still a little bit warm before winter arrives. Why are students going to be around each other, not socially distanced in a cafeteria without their masks, making for the perfect storm as COVID is spreading throughout the DC area? It's important to point out, DC actually changed that testing protocol from an opt-in method to an opt-out method. So now it's everyone is going to be asymptomatically tested randomly unless you say that you don't want your child to do so. So the virtual learning component of this is really a result of a group of circumstances that DC parents and families are saying it's not safe for these kids to go to school, but if certain things are done to fix some of the problems that have been addressed, there is no reason that our kids can't go and learn in person safely. It's important to note, and you both have had many public health officials on to talk about this, in-person learning is the most important things for kids to be engaging in at this point in time. And these parents are calling for a little bit of flexibility, some options and changes so that some of these things can be addressed and their kids can continue to learn in person safely. Is there any issues that have been brought up that haven't been addressed to parents' minds? Yeah, so this is a very narrow response. The D.C. Council heard hours and hours of testimony from parents and educators on two different topics. The first hearing was a simple school reopening hearing. Weeks into the new school year, what is going right? What are some of the problems? And that was a day-long affair in which parents were describing 
a lack of communication, testing protocols that were inconsistent. Some parents saying that people who were supposed to be coming to test students didn't even show up. Talking about crowded cafeterias, a lack of social distancing, quarantine protocols. How do I know when my student needs to be held at home for that quarantine period? Then there was a second hearing that was only about infrastructure. And this was another hours long ordeal. So this is more about air conditioning units not being replaced, HEPA filters not being adequately installed, temperatures 80 plus degrees in a classroom and expecting teachers and students to be comfortable in a mask. That second hearing was also about COVID, but more so about building infrastructure. When you look at all of this testimony, it is very rare for the DC Council to be involved in education because it is exclusively the mayor's responsibility and thereby the deputy mayor of education, the chancellor of DC public schools, superintendent, It is their responsibility to make sure that schools are safe. But these hearings and this legislation is the result of lack of action from the mayor's office. It is extremely rare that the council take such a step by introducing this legislation to improve the conditions in schools. So what is this legislation? What is the Protecting Our Children Emergency Amendment Act of 2021? And why did D.C. Council unanimously approve it? It's a very narrow bill, and it changed a lot from the introduction to what they actually voted on and unanimously passed. The most interesting part of this is this is emergency legislation. Emergency legislation filed with the D.C. Council has regulations or restrictions. The first is it cannot have any cost associated with it. That is what the mayor's office has used to push back on making some of these changes a bit more widespread, basically saying, well, we can't make virtual learning open to everybody whose doctor says that they need virtual learning, because if we do, we're going to have to hire more teachers. So that cost barrier plays a pretty important part. The other interesting part of the emergency legislation, but less influential here, is it has to have broad council support. So you need at least nine council members to go ahead and sign on to this. In this case, this bill passed unanimously. But again, the bill that passed is different than the bill that was introduced. Just to walk you through some of the aspects of this, we're talking about expanding virtual learning 350 slots, 200 additional elementary school students, 150 middle school students, and then charter schools in DC can have a minimum of 3% of students opt into virtual learning. That is a very narrow landscape, given that parents are sitting here calling for virtual learning, basically for anyone whose doctor says they need virtual learning, and it would be recommended and not required. And that's an important distinction, because before this bill was introduced, the only students who were eligible for virtual learning in D.C. were the students whose doctor signed a form saying that they have a condition that requires them to learn virtually. And that was really a barrier for some parents and some doctors who said they didn't want to go ahead and sign this form. I said, require, that's too strict. That goes a little bit too far. So you have a little bit of broadening of virtual learning. This bill also calls for an increase in testing, 20% by the end of the year. The current goal is 10%. They haven't even reached 10%. 8.8% is the most recent number that we've seen. And there are a lot of problems with this testing program. It starts with the fact that it's a saliva-based testing program thought to not be as intrusive as the nasal swab. But for many elementary students, they lack the motor skills or discipline 
to be able to spit into a tube. And if the students do not produce an adequate sample, you can't test the student. The second part of this is students cannot eat or drink an hour before. And it has been made clear in recent weeks that some students have not been informed of this. So there's a whole sample of issues and barriers to getting to this testing goal. And this bill requires that they reach 20%. This also broadens the definition of what an excused absence is, which may sound a little bit simple. But the reason this is relevant is there are some families who are having cases referred to the city's child family services agency, family services showing up at parents' doors because they don't want to send their kids to school because they don't think it's safe. The council addressed this, this legislation addresses this. We actually got some recent numbers. This is about 90 families, so not necessarily as widespread as it may have seemed initially, but still a, a notable thing that this piece of legislation does. And then the last thing that it does is actually an amendment to the bill that requires schools at the classroom level to notify anytime there is a COVID case in that classroom. Currently, if there's a COVID case and someone is deemed a close contact, that close contact is notified, but there is no one else in the school who knows that this is the situation. Well, this bill now says that if you are in the classroom and that COVID case is in the classroom, everyone in the classroom is required to be notified. And there is a bit of a practicality challenge here because currently schools are struggling, as I understand it, to even meet their current guidelines of contacting students who are close contacts. So now to ask them to notify whole classrooms may present a little bit more of a challenge. That's really interesting about the testing, because um, I never would have thought that young school kids wouldn't be spitty enough for something to work. But I, I guess 8.8 is pretty close to their goal of 10%. Um, all that being said, what is Mayor Bowser saying about this? Like you said, the council is typically not the one getting involved with school matters. But what is what is the mayor saying? And what are public health experts saying about the number of kids who wouldn't be doing in-person learning? Mayor Bowser actually tried to get the council to reconsider even discussing this legislation before they even voted on it. The way this went down, there were a series of public hearings and any time that Mayor Bowser or Paul Kine, who's the deputy mayor for education, would be asked about this, it would be some variation of in-person learning is best for our students and students learn best when they're in school and we are following all of DC Health and CDC guidelines. That continues to be the response, but a couple of days before this legislation was voted on, the mayor actually sent a letter to the council chairman, Phil Mendelson, urging that this virtual expansion and some of these other details continue to be discussed, but not have this vote, don't have this council interference, saying that it's not following the science. After this bill was passed, the response was similar. Then there were a couple of key concerns that the mayor's office has. The first being, what is the practicality of all of these new demands that schools are facing? They can't have a cost associated with them, but also you're talking about the possibility of, in the case of charter schools, some of which may not currently offering virtual learning, now suddenly have to go ahead and find a way to create virtual learning. And so the Bowser administration's big point here is this is going to be disruptive to students who are learning in person right now. Uh, and that tends to be their argument. And then you have the council argument, which continues to be expanding the mayor's message, which is the CDC guidance and guidance from DC Health should be the floor, not the ceiling. That should be a starting point. It shouldn't be the goal. 
you have this clash between the council and the mayor's office and left in the middle here are school leaders, principals, teachers, students trying to figure out how to navigate, how to go about their day to day. And, and now recognizing that some of these changes being passed and called for, things are, are probably going to change. Right. And these parents, teachers, students and administrators, they're really the ones that are going to be implementing a lot of the changes that this new bill has called for. So at this point, do we know how the implementation of this emergency bill will really play out? So it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. And the biggest challenge is all of this has to be done at the school level. Let's take the close contact example of communication as just one element of looking at how this is going to work. It has become a principal school administrator responsibility to notify parents and families and students when they are deemed a close contact, even before now everyone in the classroom has to know. The mayor can veto this legislation. The council could override this legislation. And since it passed unanimously, it would be silly almost to go through that sequence. And there's a two to three week implementation period. It is going to take two to three weeks, and this is going to be set in stone. And when that is the case, if these things are not enforced, the D.C. Council could then come back and say, you are breaking the law. So continue to monitor how we're looking at how this evolves. It's going to be really interesting because there are a lot of factors at play here. And yet another factor to add to that very comprehensive list you just shared with us is vaccines. We are obviously talking about uh, age range of kids where the bottom half, the younger half, cannot get vaccinations right now. Is this emergency bill just a stopgap until kids can get vaccinated and everyone can, in theory, get back to in-person learning? Or do vaccinations play some more complicated role in this situation? As everything does, it all comes back to more legislation and politics, right? So There was actually some conversation among D.C. council members to consider in this bill that they passed unanimously this week to consider adding a vaccine requirement for students who are eligible. When you look at that, there were some council members who were not reluctant because they don't think it's a good idea or they don't trust the vaccines, but just simply said, before we put this in the bill, we want to hear what parents, students and educators are saying. And there is already a vaccine requirement citywide for D.C. government workers, D.C. schools are included. And the mayor actually went a step further and removed the testing option. So now if you are interacting with students, your only option by the end of this year is to be vaccinated. But there is another piece of legislation, the Coronavirus Immunization of School Students and Early Childhood Workers Amendment Act of 2021 that would require all students to be vaccinated by December. So there is a hearing scheduled for the end of October in which you're probably going to have a combination of parents adamantly calling for this, some expressing their reluctance. It's also going to come at an interesting time because it seems like we're just weeks away from Pfizer receiving emergency youth authorization for school-age kids 5 to 11 to be vaccinated. But if that happens and this piece of legislation gets passed, all of a sudden you're looking at an environment where really the highest risk students in school, putting high-risk conditions and other factors aside, are the ones who can't be vaccinated who would be five and younger. So if this piece of legislation passes and parents are in favor of it and gets enacted, this would be a big step overcoming many of those barriers that parents are concerned about. And for many, probably a big reason they haven't sent their kids to school and are looking at other options at this point. 
In Manassas, Virginia, in-person classes at Bennett Elementary School will be paused this week due to 36 confirmed cases of COVID-19. In an email to parents on Friday night, Prince William County Superintendent of Public Schools, Latanya McDade said, it is important to note that quarantine does not equate to illness and that these steps are being taken out of abundance of caution. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Spitalniak. And me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett and our music is courtesy of Lockspeed. Join us next Monday as the world recovers. <laughs>